You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Happy Lundy Gras. And welcome in to Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Records were broken in the NBA All-Star Game last night. Jason Tatum scores 55 to set an All-Star Game scoring record. He wins the All-Star Game MVP. We'll get into that. We will talk the Daytona 500. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. gets just his third career win in NASCAR by taking down the granddaddy of them all. We'll talk about that with our guy Toby Christie later on in our number two. And we're going to talk the Genesis Invitational here in our number one, John Rahm. One thing you, if you haven't learned in 2023 is what can't John Rahm do? With the win at the Genesis Invitational, he has now earned. You ready for this, James? First of all, before I get to this number, hello, James, producer extraordinaire, co-host with the most. How are you? Doing all right, Matt. How about you? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. So, John Rahm wins the Genesis Invitational yesterday. Yes. He is now, for the 2022-2023 season, because the season starts in, like, November, technically. Mm-hmm. $9.86 million. In, like, four months. Excuse me? Man, this easy. <laughs> John Rom said, man, this easy. He's looking at the bags of money on his private jet going, hmm, that's light work. When's the next one? Right. <laughs> see see you next week. Literally next weekend. <laughs> like, it's just, he made $3.6 million yesterday by winning the Genesis Invitational. The PGA Tour did say that they were going to bring in higher purses. Players were going to make more money. I love the idea. If you were a professional golfer, you have to love the idea of finishing. Let's let's look at it from Tiger Woods' perspective. Okay, so Tiger finished tied for 45th. All right? One under. That was 16 shots behind John Rahm. James Tiger Woods still brought home sixty grand. I still think I chose the wrong sport that I wanted to pursue. It's like you like, can like finish sh- top fifty and you're still gonna get a pretty good check. I, sh- I feel like I should just pursue golf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, go go up a little higher. How about Will Zalatoris finished in fourth? He was twenty G shy of a mil, nine hundred eighty k. That's it, it's it's insane how much money is in the game of golf. And again, the PGA Tour said this year that they were going to have higher payouts in their tournaments to compete with Live Now. 
And you're seeing it. $3.6 million to the winner of the Genesis. And this isn't even a major. Imagine what you're going to see when the majors come around. What's going to be the payout to the winner of the Masters in two months? Six. Holy moly. Probably like a 5.8. You're going to see a lot more green than just the green jacket at Augusta. Oh, man. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk NASCAR. We're going to talk college baseball and college softball. Big weekend on the baseball diamond for both the Cajuns and the Tigers. A little rough for the Cowboys. We'll talk about all of that. Plus, McNeese softball taking down number 12 today. They took down Washington in Lake Chuck. We'll recap that game and much more. But once again, your calls on the game hotline 337-706-0111. James, looking at the NBA All-Star game last night, you know, it was it was a contest that wasn't really a contest. Uh the final score 184 to 175. So, first of all, never going to happen in a real game unless you played like six overtimes. Like it's just it's just not going to happen. Um there was zero defense. I mean, dude, Team Giannis shot 62% from the field. Team LeBron shot 60%. That's never going to happen. And look, I, I get that the All-Star game is an opportunity for guys to take a little bit of a breather, put on a show for the fans, you know, all that. And that's great. It really is. It's great. But can we stay away from instances where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are playing one-on-one on one end of the floor and the other eight guys are on the other end just kind of watching it happen? Like, just kind of standing around? Like, can we at least get in a five-on-five can we at least pretend? Like, 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 at least try. Like, like you got guys talking to fans sitting courtside while they're in the game. Well, like, <laughs> what, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and again, I get that it's supposed to be a show for the fans, so you're going to see high-flying dunks and crazy three-pointers and all that, and I'm good with it. That's fine. But at least try to play some defense. I'm not. We're we're not asking for a hundred percent. No, sixty. You you don't want anybody getting hurt. I wouldn't even go as far as saying sixty, forty. Like, give me, give me, give me a half-ass effort. I was gonna say, literally, give me half-ass effort, and I'm good. Because that's that's two guys trying at, to one v one. Like, at least stand there in a five-on-five format. At least, at least pretend that there's a play. Like. And don't get me wrong, was it cool to see two Celtics teammates go at it for like five straight possessions? Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. I hit a three in your face, we're going to go down on the other end, and you're going to hit a three in my face, and the crowd goes crazy, and like, it was cool, don't get me wrong. And they're trash-talking each other the whole time, and whatever. But I, if it's just going to become the same situation as the NFL Pro Bowl, do the same thing as the Pro Bowl. Just get play play a three on three tournament. You you want to see some high flying dunks and crazy three pointers? Play some three on three. Set up a bracket. Play some three on three. And instead of instead of two teams, maybe have four. Right. And 
you know, you and then you, you still have the three point contest and the skills challenge and, and the, the dunk sl- contest. You, you keep all of that the same, and you play the Rising Stars game mm-hmm. on Friday night, whatever. Keep the celebrity game, but then on the Sunday, change it up. Because look, people were mad about the whole flag football thing. It got rave reviews. People loved it. It can't hurt. It's a nice change of pace. This has become incredibly stale. The only reason I watched it was because it's 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. What else am I going to watch? Other than my eyelids. But like, it, it's gotten to the point where people don't even want to turn it on anymore. I used to look forward to the All-Star game. All-Star weekend used to be what I planned my social life around when I was, like, in high school. (laughs) I'm serious. Like, I wouldn't go out with friends in high school on All-Star Saturday night because, oh, three-point contest, slam dunk contest, like, I got to watch this. And now I'm just like, eh, if I miss it, I'll see the highlights on Twitter or whatever. Who cares? Like, it's gotten to that point. And I, I think the NBA needs to take a hard look in the mirror and kind of change some things up. But, you know, at the end of it, I do, I will say this I do like the way they do the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter is untimed. And at the end of the third quarter, Whichever team's in the lead, they take their score and you add 24 to it in honor of Kobe Bryant. However it falls, say you have 160 at the end of the third quarter, plus 24 again in honor of Kobe Bryant. First team to get to 184 wins. Like the fourth quarter format is kind of cool. But again, guys just standing around not trying is just kind of stale and and old and not a whole lot of fun to watch. Let's go to the game hotline. T, what's going on? All right, you Mac. Been all right, buddy. Absolutely, sir. What you got? Good. Uh, as far as for the All Star game, um, I guess I guess the young younger generation will like it. I don't know, but. I didn't watch it, but I wanted to know. I put this last week. LSU baseball did well. LSU girls basketball did well. LSU softball did well. But LSU men's basketball, I asked them this question. How can you make a Division One team and not be able to make a basket? I need that answer. It wasn't like that in the, in the 80s, I know that. I mean, as as much as I would I would really love to give you the answer, the the best answer that I can give you is that you have to remember when Matt McMahon walked into Baton Rouge, he had zero scholarship athletes. Zero. Totally foot foot told me the same exact thing. I don't care. Their division one players, okay. I think it's more too much travel ball. Where just running gun, man, just just dunk and lay up and dunk and lay up. That's 
that's the only thing I can see because there's not an LSU player that can make a three-pointer. No, not not many of them, and the ones that can are very inconsistent. I know, right? So, it's yeah, just no, I mean, I, I agree with you. You're you're not wrong, but uh, like I said, the best answer I can give you is that I mean, Mac McMahon is, is trying to do a D one job with. I mean, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. Limited yeah. resources. No, I I know he's trying to make chicken salad with you know what, you know. He's, he, he's trying to part. he's trying to make chicken nuggets with pink slime like McDonald's used to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's it. <laughs> I mean, all right, guys, man. Love y'all show. Keep it up. Appreciate you, T. Now, look do do I do I love the fact that LSU is now on a fourteen game losing streak? No, no, I don't. It's painful. But the best explanation that I can provide, look. Say what you want about Murray State. It's a good basketball school. Has been for a very long time. Jean Morant went to the league. Cameron Payne went to the league. They've put a couple other players in the league as well. They're in the NCAA tournament regularly, and every once in a while, they make an actually pretty deep run in the NCAA tournament. But there is a major difference between the Ohio Valley Conference and the SEC. There's just a talent gap there. That's okay. But the thing is, is when a coach has zero scholarship players, what's he going to do? He's going to lean on the players that he already has connections with and already knows how they play. So what did he do? He pulled three of his starters from Murray State to Baton Rouge. It has been an adjustment period for all of them. I mean, look at K.J. Williams. He's the best player LSU has. And there are nights where he fails to show up. Because it's an adjustment period for him, too. It's one of those things where you just have to give them time. It's all their first year taking a step up in competition. And you already knew that LSU, they didn't have a lot of shooters. And the one shooter that they really had that they really were depending on was Adam Miller, who this is his first year off his ACL, and it's the same thing with football. First year back from an ACL, you can't really expect too, too much. So to me, you can't really have at least somewhat of a real gauge at this point until next year. Like, what does Adam Miller look like two years off the ACL? What does it look like with a Matt McMahon squad where he gets his guys in? What's it look like for him his second year after he's had a year of experience in the SEC? Yeah, and a full year to recruit and... All of that. So, look, again, 14-game losing streaks are not fun. Got to give the guy time. Like, I, like I've told a couple people over the last couple of days, give him three full seasons, and if at the end of the third season he is not even sniffing an SEC championship, then you look at making a change. But, I mean, the man's coached 27 games. And I know everybody looked at their first 12 and was like, well, you know, they went 11-1. and one. What, what happened? Well, they didn't really play anybody in those first 12 games, if we're honest. So it's just it's one of those things. But uh, we'll recap that and so much more. Uh, stick with us here on Crunch Time. We'll be back right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Join us for a day of golf and giving at the charity game Golf Scramble, benefiting Redbird Ministries, sponsored by courtesy of Bro Bridge. Hit the links at Farm Alley while supporting a great cause. All proceeds from the tournament will go towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff at both the game and Courtesy Bro Bridge. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together and register now at 1037thegame.com. Together, we can make a difference. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. How will you celebrate Fat Tuesday? That's our poll question of the day so far. Well, what here here are your choices. Go to parades, eat king cake, party or other. So far, 75% of you say other. 13% say party, 7% say king cake, and 6% say go to the parades. James Mesh, how are you spending Mardi Gras day? Tomorrow I'm looking to just stay home and eat the rest of the king cake that we have at our house. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, after Saturday, uh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, bud. The the red of your shirt might not be as red as your face. Yeah. But hey, it happens to the best of that, us. That Youngsville parade took a lot out of me. Yeah, it it happens to the best of us. A two and a half hour long parade, dude. Oh, bud. That was. You, you think that's long? Bro, well, I'm used to the hour-long ones. You think that's long? I'm used to the hour-long ones. I, I stood at a Mardi Gras parade in New Orleans for three and a half hours. Oh, dude. Oh, bud. Oh, bud. Well, it also... Well, here's the thing. It also didn't help that we set up our own little spot at five in the morning. Well, yeah. You didn't sleep the night before. I did not. No. This guy. I, I, I don't see how you do it. I just don't. I don't know how I did it either. I... I you know what time I went to bed last night? 10.15. 10.15. I went to bed at about 12, 12.30. Nah. I, I, I don't see how you do it. I can do that like once a month. If I prepare for it, oh, I could stay up. I can, I can hang with the best of them. I could stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But I got to know in advance. Like, that's not something that can just happen, like, on the fly. Like, it's like making plans. I got to, I got to take caffeine pills, B twelve pill. Like I got to plan for this. You got to be a teenager again, right? Re- re- revert back to two thousand twelve. Right. Just you know, no. Oof. I was. I, I'm just so used to not waking up or like not going to bed because we would stay up playing on like PlayStation. That that I'm just used to that. Mm-hmm. And like my kind of my brain kind of works at its best at around like twelve o'clock. You know, every, I, I always heard. When when I was a kid and when I was in high school, you know, I would say, "Oh, I'm tired," blah blah blah, and I would always hear, "Wait till you're married." Now, don't get me wrong, I love marriage; <laughs> it's great. Got to put, <laughs> got to put. But, but let on me, that. but but let me tell you something. When you get home, you don't want to do anything at all. Going out with people, no, 
I'm good. Exercise? Nope. <laughs> Not doing that either. Like, it's just, I, I, I want to sit in my, in my seat on the couch that reclines, turn on some Netflix, and just not move. Like, that's what I do now. See, that's a, that's a big difference between me and you because it's, you, you're fine with sitting down. For me, like, if you've ever seen me in public and, like, I'm sitting down, I'm moving around because, like, I, I can't sit and down for too long. You have the attention span of a squirrel. Of a, of a goldfish. Yeah. Uh, like, I'll, no, 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 I'll pay attention, but it's like... I just need to move around. I get that way sometimes, and I used to be that way when I was younger. Why do you think every? But now it's. Why do you just, think like every time out break, like I need to go get a sip yeah, of water because I want to go up every time. And yep. I'm like, where do you go? I want to go where, take where a sip. He, where does he disappear? Want to go take a sip of my tea? I want to go take a sip of my water. I'm thirsty. So here's what I'm doing. I've got it all planned out. You've got it. Yeah. What you got? I'm waking up at seven. Oh, that already sounds horrible. <laughs> waking up at seven. Go and play golf with my guy, Aaron Crater. Oh, yeah. We're going to Bayou Bend in Crowley. So we're going to play golf. I'm going to come back home. going to pick up the bride. I'm going to go to the Mardi Gras parade in Lafayette. And then I'm going to go home and sleep. That's, that's my day. And it's going to be a good one. It's a solid day. And I might grab some king cake somewhere in there. Or a king cake alcoholic beverage. There, there's a couple places around Lafayette that make a king cake daiquiri. That is, you'll find a way. Yeah, figure it out one way or another. But that's the fu- that's the funniest thing about Louisiana is you have drive-through daiquiri shops. Oh, dude, I I could tell you some stories <laughs> about family members that live out of town that bring in out of town that bring in significant others, and we're like, hey, let's go get a daiquiri. What do you mean, go get one? Yeah. Go to the drive-thru. Yeah. And we're not even going to get out of the car either. Duh. Like, it, well, watch. I'm about to blow your mind. They're, they're, it's it's so funny every single time. But anyways, getting getting back to sports. Let's start with LSU baseball. Top team in the country. You were there on Friday. Super high expectations. I was there on Friday. It was bitterly cold. Bitterly cold. So I get there. There's no seat in the press box with our name on it. I look around. I scan the press box like three times. No tag with my name on it. I was like, hmm, that's odd. So I ask one of the communications people at LSU, and they're like, oh, you know, something got mixed up. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, they were like, well, Western Michigan isn't bringing any of their media, so if you just want to set up in the visiting team spot, like that's fine. I like, okay, cool. So I set up, blah, blah, blah. The game starts. Now, mind you, Friday it was like 50. I think it might have been the warmest it got. It stayed in the upper 40s most of the day with the wind blowing. Game begins. The people in the front row of the press box opened up all the windows. Opened up all the windows. Let the wind just blow right into the press box. Why? Why? I was already cold. And now you're just making it worse. But anyways, getting to the baseball of it, James Paul Skeens is nasty. I've heard stories all offseason. You know, this kid's velocity is crazy. His control is nuts. Like, he's the real deal. And it was all true. 
I mean, he walks out to the mound and you're like, man, that's a buff kid. He is tall. He is ripped. Like, he's, and man, when I tell you his fastball consistently hung 95 to 99, upper 90s, he had a nasty curveball. He had a nasty slider. Threw 98 pitches in six innings, only gave up three hits, only walked one batter, and he struck out 12. LSU hadn't had a player strike out 12 in a season opener since 1995. And that game wasn't even played at Alex Box. That game was played inside the Louisiana Superdome. Yes, James. They used to play college baseball inside the Superdome. They had a big season kickoff tournament called the it was the Win Dixie Showdown. LSU played Lamar inside the Superdome, and uh, first name's escaping me. Last name Schultz uh, struck out twelve bat- twelve Lamar batters in 1995. Absolutely wild. Um, but no, they ended up winning ten nothing on Friday behind just some great offense. Scott Schultz. Scott Schultz. Thank you. Thank you. Um, great offense on Friday. They struggled a little bit on Saturday. Still won five to three, and then they bounced back in a big way yesterday, nine to two. Also, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns winning two out of three over in Rice. Uh, great game Friday night, five to four, winning that one, blowing the doors off on Saturday with an eleven to two win, and then yesterday it was a. A little rough. It was a game where Cajuns jump out to a 5 nothing lead. Rice comes back. Cajuns come back. Rice comes back. It was back and forth for most of the game, and the Cajuns end up falling 12-8. to But they have a four-game series with BYU kicking off at the Teague on Wednesday night. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We'll take a timeout when we return We're going to talk to Chris Murphy about the PGA Tour. And at top of hour number two, we'll continue the conversation with the Raging Cajuns with our guy Jay Walker right here on The Game. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's 4.36 here on a Lundy Graal edition of Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. John Rahm had himself one hell of a weekend. He goes six under. In round one, three under in round two, another six under in round three before closing it out with a two under final round to win the Genesis Invitational by two strokes to Lafayette's own, Los Angeles's own Max Homa, Chris Murphy from the Action Network. He covers the PGA Tour. He's joining us now on the game hotline. Chris, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be back with y'all. Thanks for having me. So let's let's start with the winner of the Genesis Invitational in John Rahm. He was the projected winner. 
finds a way to just absolutely dominate the field at 17 under par at Riviera Country Club. And and this really isn't the first time you've seen John Rahm do something like this in this in this new season. Talk about the the success and the trajectory that the John Rahm is currently on. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's just playing out of this world really. I mean it, it is a run um that that we just don't see very often in golf. You know, he's got three wins already in 2023 and five wins worldwide in his last nine starts and that is just an absurd run of play. Um, and even the times that, you know, he has fallen short. Uh, I, I saw something earlier um, that he's been, you know, in the final group on Sunday in four tournaments. And, and one of those that he wasn't was the one he came back and won uh, at the Century of Tournament of Champions. So it's it's just been an incredible run of golf. He, you know, it, it's ironic that it took this win for him to get to the number one player in the world as this, new official world golf rankings kind of sorts itself out. Um, but he is certainly the hottest player on the planet and will be uh, the guy to beat for the rest of the season. Now, you know, you talked about how the, a run like this doesn't happen often, and, and you're absolutely right. What is he doing differently? Because golf's a game where, where you, you need things to go your way every now and again. You need to be a little lucky. Do, do you think it's just a streak where John Rahm's getting lucky more often than other people, or is he doing something differently to really elevate himself above the rest of the field? No, it's just, you know, obviously, and there were times certainly over this weekend he had on, on Friday, he hit one off the grandstands on 17 that bounded to four feet for an eagle um, that was, you know, a poor shot that he got a lucky break, and he um, got another two, one or two along the way. And that certainly is part of what it takes to win a tournament. Um, but what he's doing week in and week out is he's just a- as consistent at the top level of the game as we've seen in quite some time in terms of his all of his strokes gain statistics from T to green in particular. But the, what's made him different um, now versus probably this time last year where we, you know, he was just kind of struggling to close. Um, is he's he's really got his putter going too, and so he is just completely together throughout the bag, um, and at playing at an elite level with every aspect of his game, uh, and that's something that you know as long as he continues to to play at that level, he's going to be really hard to beat week in and week out. You know, looking at Max Homa, a, a guy that has been in, in the tour circuit, you know, since 2013, and. He is a California kid, and he's always wanted to win the Genesis Invitational. He came up, he came up just short this year. He's come up just short before. You know, you, you look at a guy like Homa who plays well consistently, and just maybe struggles a little bit to to break through. What's it going to take for for Max to to finally get that Genesis Invitational? Well, and and he did. Uh, he got it a couple of years ago. So he does have a, a Genesis uh, win. It was his first win on tour when he beat Finau in the playoff. Um, but, you know, you could tell by the way that he reacted after this one just how much this tournament means to him. Uh, he has really, you know, kind of put himself in, in a position as one of the top closers on tour. You know, the way that he has won in the past um, 12 months, capturing multiple wins. Uh, and several of those have come on the West Coast, uh, you know, closing at Torrey Pines, 
Uh, he's got the, the Fortinet championship under his belt as well. Um, so he has really stepped his game to the upper echelon as well. He's in the conversation, certainly as a top 10 player in the world. And, you know, moving into to the mix of, of being one of the top five players in the world in a week-in, week-out basis. Now, what he has to do uh, really is, is to do it in a major championship. His major uh, record is, is not great. He hasn't, um, you know, produced the high finishes there, um, but he is certainly starting to show the, the capability to do that uh, on, on that level as well. Chatting with Chris Murphy of the Action Network. You know, one thing that was impressive, and we talked about it at length on our show Friday, Tiger Woods hosts this tournament every year. This is where he had his tragic car accident, you know, two years ago. And since that accident, he's only been able to play a complete tournament one time, and that was at the Masters. And so, you know, my my goal for Tiger this weekend was to play four rounds of golf. And he was able to do that, finishing two under par. How impressed were you with with Tiger's performance this weekend? I, I was frankly shocked. Uh, I mean, you know, it's hard to continue to be impressed by Tiger Woods, um, but I was I walked away with that um, just from the fact that not only all those things that you said, we haven't seen him in competitive golf. We haven't seen um, you know uh, him really be able to go through four rounds and make it through. But, I mean, he was out driving Rory McIlroy in the first couple of rounds. He had the ball speed. He had the movement. He had everything. And Genesis is one of those tournaments, one of those courses where he's never won. And he has noted, even at the prime of his career, that he just had trouble on the greens and had trouble scoring. And so to see him, you know, with that kind of added on to all of the other aspects that, that he's dealing with, um, I was really impressed with the golf overall and, you know, really excited to see him. It will probably be the the Masters next, um, you know, even as some, some rumors swirl that he might make one more uh, appearance somewhere else. I would expect we'd probably see him at Augusta. And there's certainly reason to be more excited about his golf more than just having him there. So looking ahead this weekend is the Honda Classic over in Florida. You know, looking at the field, no. Obviously, there's some well-known names, but no big superstars of today's PGA Tour participating in this tournament. Is it just you know the way the the schedule falls? This is a week where most guys choose to to take a break, or, or why is that? Yeah, it, it's uh, quite frankly the worst spot on the schedule. It, it just doesn't get much worse than being. Um, sandwiched in between four elevated events. We, we went from the Waste Management to the Genesis. We've got the Honda this week, and then uh, the Arnold Palmer and the players for the next two weeks, which are both um, Arnold Palmer has been elevated, and then obviously the players is effectively the fifth major. They Guys just aren't going to play five weeks in a row. Um, and so it, it's a natural point where you know they're having to travel from the West Coast to the East Coast, and, you know, it's it spot on the schedule. It just um, it is a spot for guys to take a week off, and that's, you know, really really what it is. So uh, it leaves us with only, I think, three players in the top 20 of the world that are set to tee it up, but it's always a fun event. There's always a lot of carnage and, you know, another tournament where, you know, you can expect low double digits if they get to the double digits in scoring. 
so it's always fun and a great opportunity for some of the lesser-known names to uh, capture a first win or kind of elevate themselves. I don't know if you've had the the opportunity to watch the the Netflix series Full Swing, but uh, you know, kind of painting the picture. It's an all access documentary painting the picture between the PGA and Live. Uh, I'm sure you know you you if you haven't seen it, you have the you know you've seen people talk about it. Yeah, do, yeah, do you I've think do you think that that is a good thing for the PGA Tour with the controversy between PGA and Live? What were your thoughts on the documentary? Uh, I thought the documentary was great. I, I think the insight into, um, you know, some of the, the players and, you know, uh, off the course and the things that they deal with and how, um, you know, a guy that we look like look at like a Brooks Kapka, um, who, you know, was really struggling with his game and kind of the mental anguish that he was going through uh, trying to, uh, I think, as he commented, trying to figure out how he can compete week in, week out with the Scottish Shufflers of the world and, and things like that. Um, you know, I think that documentary was a great insight into the game. Um, overall, no, no I, I don't think Liv is is helping the game at all. Um, you know, I think there can be ways that it certainly has taken events like last week and um, more so the waste management and elevated it and brought in, you know, we're getting the top players in the world together more often but there are also less of them on the PGA Tour now. And you see, you know, continual defection of, um, you know, players like a Thomas Peters who went this week and announced that he's going to live um, from the European Tour. He's ranked 34th in the world. And that's, you know, not something that's going to send shockwaves through the, through the world, but it, it makes the, the competition and the week-in, week-out fields just that uh, a little bit weaker um, and makes it so that we're not getting – the true top players in the world together as often. So it, um, you know, continues to be, be a thorn in the game uh, overall. Chris Murphy of the Action Network joins us here on the Game Hotline. Chris, appreciate your time, appreciate your insight into the great game of golf, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon in a couple weeks. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. And there he goes, Chris Murphy of the Action Network. And, you know, talking about the Netflix documentary, Full Swing, it's an eight-episode documentary, and, and it kind of goes into one of those, it, it kind of goes, you know, all access behind the scenes of guys going through the process last year of when Live Golf came around and, and the drama and the tensions of, you know, was this guy going to go? Was this guy going to go? Things like that. And really shows you, the friendship that that golfers have, you know, guys like Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas, you learn just how good of friends they are. You get to see inside the family life of guys like Brooks Kepka. Fantastic series. If you haven't checked it out yet, go do so. Uh, from the rate, from the reviews that it has been given, probably going to see multiple seasons of of this documentary. But we'll wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're a little low on cash, not to worry. The game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help. As a member of the Rewards Club, you'll have the opportunity to score some excellent prizes. $150 to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. $50 to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. $40 to Miss Fitz Dine and Drink in Broussard. 
or $25 to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Sign up today. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Keep those votes coming for our poll question of the day. How will you be celebrating Mardi Gras tomorrow? Are you going to be going to some parades? Are you going to eat some king cake? Are you just going to party, party, party? Maybe all the above or something else. I mean, looking at some of the comments, Texan and Acadia said, I hide in my closet with a king cake until the storm has passed. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. John Paul, I will be home with a lovely bride. How nice. It has been a busy weekend. Rode the Youngsville Parade Saturday. Oh, and you didn't see me? Didn't say, didn't shout out me. That's crazy. Went west to visit the family Sunday. 24 years of marriage to celebrate today, so tomorrow will be some chilling with some season five home improvement. Nice. Do it. Do it. Do it. What? You Do your Tim the Toolman Taylor. Do it. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot it. Man, he's... Hold on. He's struggling. Anyways. <laughs> there you go. Ralph doing whatever the grandkids want. It's their world. I'm just breathing their oxygen. <laughs> Uh, might try to squeeze in some dictionary time in case I ever have a conversation with Dawson. <laughs> Dawson just throws out them educated ass words, I guess. Uh, looking, <laughs> I want to talk about the XFL because hey, it was okay. the first weekend. Yeah, you, ch- Matt, you chose the Houston Roughnecks. Sure did. I'm choosing the Battle Hawks. Good for you. And Moses to the left of me has chosen the Seattle Sea Dragons. Okay. I, I have questions. Okay. Why the Sea Dragons? What was wrong with just being the Seattle Dragons? Why do you have to be extra? Seahawks? Sea Dragon? I don't know. But it's not together. It's not a... They're made of animals. And, and also, <laughs> and also l- listen to the teams in, in Seattle that you have. The Seahawks. The Sea Dragons, the Mariners, the Kraken, and the Mariners. Sorry, my voice is scratchy from all the yelling at Mardi Gras. But three fictitious made-up creatures, and then the Mariners. But anyways. As far as we know. I I, I digress. <laughs> yeah, the, the Kraken might be looming around somewhere. We I don't never know. know. No, but... Houston Roughnecks, they got a huge win, 33 to 12 yeah. over the Guardians. Yeah, they did. The Renegades beat the Vipers 22 to 20. Battle Hawks had a huge comeback late against the Brahmas, 18 to 15, where they scored 15 in the fourth quarter. Showed off the fourth and 15 onside kick rule. That was pretty cool. That's another thing. People were looking at some of the rules and how the XFL does different. Fourth and 15, instead of doing a regular onside kick, that way you maybe have a better chance of getting an extra possession, which is something that the Chiefs would expose more likely than not if it were to be in the NFL. Also, same thing as what you do in flag football. Like if you played at intramural sports, like at UL or something, I remember Mm -hmm. it was the same exact thing. One point at about the two-yard line, uh, two points at the five, 
and then three points at the 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's a solid concept. I like the idea. I mean, it's what we did for intramural flag football. It's a it's a solid concept. Um, the fourth and 15 instead of the onside kick is is interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm not against it, honestly. The, if the NFL wanted to adopt that into place, I'd actually kind of be for it. Um, I'm not for or against it either way. So I, I wouldn't be opposed if they made the change. I think it'd be interesting and kind of do experiment for the year, kind of like how they did with the review, some of the judgment calls. Now, I do like the XFL's kickoff format. It is really nice. You are going to reduce the injuries. Substantially. Substantially. Huge amount. Like, it's going to be next to zero mm-hmm. if the NFL were to do this. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it was a fun weekend. Obviously, the expectations are kind of low. It's the first season of a new league. First um, week. So, you know, expectations weren't great, but watching watching your Battlehawks make that comeback was uh it was interesting. AJ McCarron, the new comeback um, hit? AJ McCarron. Oh my god. We that, love me some Jeremy Hill though. We do we do love some Jeremy Hill. We do love some Jeremy Hill. Um we love some John Trey Kirkland as well for the Roughnecks. Hit five catches for seventy one yards and a touchdown. Former LSU receiver slash quarterback in that bowl game that everybody left when Ed O'Shawn got fired. Uh that was a that was a good time. But hour number one in the books, hour number two. We're gonna kick it off with our guy Jay Walker recapping Cajun softball and Cajun's baseball. And then we're gonna talk some rubbing is racing at five thirty right here on the game. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Just now at the end of hour number one when we were talking XFL, we mentioned Jeremy Hill, and we realized that it's not Jeremy Hill playing for St. Louis. It is Brian Hill. Jeremy Hill did try out for the XFL, however, but he didn't make a team. So there's that. Uh, mistakes happen in sports all the time. Here in hour number two, we are going to get away from football and a little more into the diamond sports. Cajuns baseball taking two out of three. Cajuns softball, a little bit of a rough weekend. Let's talk about it all right now. It is time for Cajuns corner. Going deep downfield. He's got a receiver. It's caught. Touchdown, Louisiana. Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns Corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Jay Walker, how the hell are you, sir? I'm I'm trying to figure out what, what all this stuff about football is now. The Super Bowl ended, right? The XFL started this weekend, though. What 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 is that? The... Is that... Is that minor league football for people who who can't get enough i mean i i don't get it apparently it, it was the the rock bought it from vince mcmahon and oh he, yeah oh he, gee he started that it back makes up. it exciting to watch now i saw that it was on last night and i looked and i said why would people watch that crap seriously why would people watch that crap it's 
You know, I I don't flip on my television once the World Series is over to see if I can catch minor league baseball. I mean, I I don't get it. I don't get it. It's it's like, okay, well, gee, eight months of football wasn't enough, so let's get a bunch of minor leaguers, change the rules, put it on TV, and people watch it, and worse yet, let me guess, sports yep. talk hosts will talk about it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You know, okay, I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done. <laughs> so, Jay, you, you've been in Clearwater, Florida with the softball team since... Yeah, do I sound drunk? <laughs> it's... Uh... No, I uh, I have been in, so- in Clearwater with the softball team, and it'll be uh, a week tomorrow. Yeah. So you know, we'll we'll start with the game Thursday. You got the win over Indiana four to one, pretty convincingly at that, and then starting Friday with that close game against Michigan, everything kind of went wishy washy from there. What happened? Well, if you recall, Monsieur. When we, um, when we had our conversation last week, I said the thing that I'm looking for and the thing that I'm hoping doesn't happen is that you go out and give the other team a lot of stuff for free because you can't do that against the quality of competition that you're facing here in Clearwater. So after you beat Indiana, you played Michigan. What did you do? You made back-to-back errors, gave them five unearned runs, and you lost by one. And then uh, the game after that, uh, you go out and um, you give them, uh, I think, nine free base runners. Eight of them came in to score, and you get run ruled against Oklahoma State. And then the Cajuns lose two more games by one run. Um, One of them, you fell behind early uh, against Arkansas because you uh, walked a batter, hit two batters, and then somebody hit a home run, and before you knew it, you were down 7-1. to one. Now, you did a great job coming back, making a game out of it, but the, what, what you did earlier in the game hurt you. And then, you know, you play UCLA, and I thought overall they played great, but then I went back and looked at it. UCLA scored four runs. Two of them scored after a player was hit by a pitch. Two free base runners. And then, you know, you got drilled by Florida State, and I don't have anything to say about that except Florida State's got some really good power hitters. So, you know, you won one game. You could have won three others if you play just a little bit better. But you can't give elite teams free stuff because guess what? They didn't give the Cajuns free stuff. And so that's, you know, that's my comment on what I've seen so far. You're one in five. You could have been maybe four and three, maybe even five and two if you played great. But even if you play good, you're, you're four and three or three and four. And I, and I don't think anybody would have complained about oh, no. four and three or three and four. No. Um, but, but you just gave away too much. Now, in, in those three games that you talked about where they only lost by one run, do, do you take – I mean, obviously, you know, we're not fans of moral victories, but do you take some kind of positive in the fact that you were able to fight back and make it a game? I think in a couple of cases you do. Um, I think the game against Arkansas where you're down 7-1, to you make it 7-6, to and, and you're fighting until the last out. I think definitely the UCLA game, you can take some, um, you can take some positives 
uh, away. And, and I think that when you play in a tournament like this, Matt, you know, Tony's all saying W is for win and L is for learn. I, I really think you had to come into this with that mindset because you were going to learn something um, during your time here. And, and I think they're learning some things. I, I think there are some things that they can take away that are positives that say, hey, look, you know, let's clean this up. Let's clean that up. We can play with anybody. Um, and, you know, we'll see with a day off today playing a good UCF team tomorrow and then getting LSU twice next weekend, we'll see if they learned anything through these games that they played so far. Now, you know, you, you brought up that UCF game. That is going to be a, a tough game on the road, UCF, a, a top 25 program in their own right. Uh, you know, what's kind of the scouting report slash keys to victory for, for Glasgow's group tomorrow? You know, I don't know. Bobby is actually working on that for the broadcast. I'm, I'll say this. What I'm going to say about it is no different from, from what I said about the last, because look, UCF was there. They played in that tournament. They, um, they were competitive in the games that they played. Control the things that you can control. And that means don't hit batters, don't walk people, don't make errors. If you do those things, you're going to have a chance to win. As a matter of fact, this is a good enough offensive team to where if they cut down on that other stuff, they're going to win an awful lot of games because offensively this team's pretty good. Now, I am going to say this, and, you know, softball fans, God bless them, have a tendency to be a little bit Pollyanna-ish in that, you know, they think their girls can do no wrong, and, you know, they, they, don't, like, they don't like criticism. I'm not talking about fans. I'm not talking about the, the teams or anything. But I'm going to say this. I don't think this is a very good defensive team, and I don't think it's going to get better. I mean, that's, you know, I, I know they're going to continue to work on it, but you know, I, I think they got the, the, the defensive outfield, I think they've got figured out with Falterman and, uh, and Hayden and Ushte. But you know, the rest of the time, they're moving, they're moving players around all over the place because I think they're looking for a combination that works, and I don't think they've found it yet. And I don't know that they're necessarily going to find it to the degree that they want to. I don't think this is a very good defensive team. And they'll get away with that if they hit well and pitch well in most games. Uh, they'll definitely get away with it if they hit well and pitch well in the Sun Belt Conference. But, man, when they play elite team, you know, we saw that. We saw a few great plays defensively against mm -hmm. the Cajuns. We didn't see very many great defensive plays for the Cajuns against the opposition. Chatting with Jay Walker here on Cajuns Corner. Now, Jay, I know you were in Clearwater with the softball team, but I also know that you're a baseball guy at heart, so you were keeping up with Matt Deggs' group over in Houston. They took two out of three against a improved Rice Owls team. You know, what, what are your thoughts on the two-in-one start? I think you're being very kind. I don't think that's a very much improved Rice team. Uh, hard to tell after three games. All right, but this is not a Rice team that – now, I thought the, the guy that they threw on Friday did a nice job, but I think Hammond and the bullpen did a little bit better job. Um, you know, you, you win on Saturday, um, you lose on Sunday. Matt, 
How many free base runners did the Cajuns give up this weekend? We were just talking about it in softball. Yep. I'm count. I'm counting about thirty. Yep. And um, guess what? Doesn't matter if the if the ball is um, got 108 stitches in it, or doesn't matter if uh, the ball is yellow and a little bit bigger. Uh, it, it, the game's played pretty much the same way. And if you give up free stuff. You've got a chance to lose. Cajuns should have swept that series. They didn't. And uh, freebies are the reason why they didn't. You know, let the other team give you stuff. You can't go out and um, walk seven and hit four on a Sunday and depend on your bats to bail you out. So that's got to get cleaned up uh, sooner rather than later because I'll tell you what, this BYU team that's coming in this week is a much better team than that Rice team. And you may prove to be right when you say a much improved Rice team, but I didn't see or read or hear anything that would indicate to me that they're that much better than they were a year ago. And then, you know, looking at Cajuns basketball, two more games inside the Cajun Dome before the Sunbelt Tournament (laughs) next week. Gary Broadhead's group going to go on the road for their final two. Both teams in in pretty similar spots trying to hold on to a top four seed so they get that double bye. You know, obviously you want to stay undefeated at home, but if you're Bob Marlin and Gary Broadhead, what's the mindset heading into these final two games? Yeah, let me go ahead and just correct one thing. The women are are playing at home this week, so you got two doubleheaders coming up um, this week. Look, for the men, I'm not surprised they lost to James Madison. James Madison's good. They're playing on the road. That didn't shock me. Cajuns to clinch a double bye need one win, and they should get that Wednesday against Arkansas State. Then they're going to go up against a South Alabama team who's playing the best basketball in the league right now. They're not only going on a winning streak. They're blowing people out. They beat Southern Miss 30 on Thursday. They beat ULM 26 on Saturday. They're just playing great right now. Um, but you only need one win to clinch the double bye. The women not only need to win their last two, they need some help. That loss to Arkansas State was a killer. And um, so, you know, I'm sitting here planning what I'm going to do because I'll be doing the men and the women over in Pensacola. And I'm not, I now have the mindset I'm going to have to go in there early because unless um, – you know, it's not impossible, but unless a lot of things fall the Cajuns' way, they're going to be playing on Wednesday instead of Friday. Um, and it, you know, that's too bad. It makes your it, it makes your road a little bit tougher. Um, we'll see. But I I'm not optimistic. Not because I don't think they can win those two games against Texas State and Southern Miss. I just don't know that they're going to get the help they need in order to get into the top four, even if they win both games. Jay Walker joining us here on the game hotline. I, I was corrected. The the women do play at home this weekend. Haven't had many doubleheaders this this year, Jay. So uh, you know, you just kind of look at it and go, well, you know, the men are at home, so the women are on the road. But for final weekend of the season, I guess that's not the case. Well, you know, it was um, it was that, that there was a week recently uh, where where the they were home. I guess on one night, they then they had a doubleheader. But they've been playing a few doubleheaders on the road. I mean, the, the doubleheader at Arkansas State, I mean, with the Saturday at Arkansas State, that was part of the doubleheader. Uh, Arkansas State's men had pro- played in the game previously for the Cajuns played. I, look, I, I, I tried to figure out the, the, 
the crux of men's and women's basketball scheduling a long time ago. Tell me when to go to the Dome and I'll go. Jay Walker, appreciate you as always. Uh, enjoy the busy next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I will look forward to it. As always, thanks for having me, and go Cajuns. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. James Mesh, the monster trucks are coming back to the Cajun Dome. The toughest monster truck tour is returning March 17th and 18th in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has a VIP package with your name written on it. Enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. Your VIP package includes four tickets, access to the pit area, merchandise certificate, and lunch with the truck drivers on the Friday. The toughest monster truck tour is coming back, and you could win a VIP package courtesy of the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What's poppin'? It's <laughs> 521 here on your Monday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. So, James, we always talk about the NBA, and it's well, well documented. And I am not a fan of the Los Angeles, Los Angeles Lakers. And I am not a fan of LeBron James or his former point guard in Russell Westbrook. So let's recap the last, you know, week and a half of, of Russell Westbrook's NBA season. So he's playing with LeBron for the Lakers. LeBron's not happy with, with Russell Westbrook anymore. So he trades him to, because, you know, LeBron's also the GM and the owner and everything else. Russell Westbrook gets traded to Utah. And you knew that was never going to last. That was not going to work. Utah didn't need a point guard. So they cut him. He clears waivers because who would want Russell Westbrook? Now he signs with the Los Angeles Clippers. Going to play in the same arena. Just use a different locker and a different uniform. He talked to Utah and was like, y'all aren't going to play me, right? But... All right, cool, because I'm not – I didn't want I don't to move. <laughs> I'll just go next door. But you know what's not going to be different? The situation. What did you have in Los Angeles? Three prima donnas that need the basketball and the spotlight. What are you going to have playing for the Clippers? You're now going to have three prima donnas – Granted, the two playing for the Clippers are a little more reserved than the two playing for the Lakers, but still are what they are. I was going to say, it's not like Kawhi really is out here trying to talk to the media. That want two things. They want the basketball, and they want the spotlight. Is this really going to be different? Probably not, because... Weren't you looking at earlier? You were looking at finals odds. 
The Clippers were Yo. plus 1,100. No, it got worse. <laughs> they went from plus 1,100. And then after the Russell Westbrook to signing, twelve hundred to now plus twelve hundred. It got how often do you see a team acquire a superstar? Russ was a superstar five years ago, and their odds get worse. I mean, that's crazy. Because here's the thing. We made fun of Dennis Allen for weeks and weeks on his definition of insanity quote. Hello, what are you doing here? You're doing the same thing and expecting a different result. You want to know the first time this happened, James? The first situation that I can truly remember three superstars going to the same team and me going, that's not going to work. Steve Nash went to the Lakers. And it's funny because that 2012 Lakers team, I remember looking at the Sports Center, or not Sports Center, the the magazine. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at I'm like Dwight Howard. I know he's a really big name. Kobe Bryant, huge name. Steve Nash, huge name. I'm look I'm looking at the squad, I'm like. Mm-mm. I'm hearing all these expectations, I, and I was still learning basketball at that point. That was 2012. That was my third year of still learning basketball. Still hadn't really gotten it all down yet, but I remember seeing I'm like, okay, so, okay, so this is like supposed to be possibly the greatest team of all time. Mm-hmm. You're talking about all these big names, correct? All these guys on the same team. Horrible flop. Terrible. They it was severely under expectations, and you know, you, you, people talk about oh well, well, the the Bulls did a big three, the Celtics bid did a big three because here's the thing, those guys knew their roles. Dennis Rodman knew his job. Get some boards, play defense. Ray Allen knew his job. Stand in the corner, shoot some threes. When you understand what your role is and you don't overstep what your role is, it works. But when you have superstars, because let, let's also be real about something. Was Dennis Rodman really a big-time superstar before he went to the Bulls? Maybe. But not not like Steve Nash was when he came to the Lakers. Not on the same level, not yet. So it's one of those things when you put three superstars in the same locker room that have very similar personalities, and you go, hey, work together. Figure it out. Nah, fam, that don't work. That does not work. And it's it's been proven. The Lakers did it. The Lakers clearly didn't learn their lesson because they set it up again with LeBron AD and Russ Westbrook. And then threw in Patrick Beverly. Then threw in Pat Bev. And and before all that happened, you know what the you know who Rob Palenka wanted to go get? Kyrie. Dame. Dame? Everybody else on the face of the earth. Why did LeBron leave Cleveland? Kyrie. He had issues with Kyrie. Kyrie moved on. The issues didn't quite repair. So LeBron went elsewhere. 
why do you think that a LeBron-Kyrie relationship would work again? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Add the Los Angeles Clippers to the list of idiots that think that this is going to work. Because guess what? It's not. People have been talking, oh, you keep an eye out on the Clippers. You know, they might be a surprise team to to win it all. Not anymore. They just screwed themselves out of that. I wouldn't be surprised if they somehow fall apart after the All-Star break and don't even make the play in. It'd be kind of hard for them to do that. They're fourth right now, but... Maybe drop to like six or seven. But here's the thing. You're only three games. Only three games separate you from being completely out of it. So who knows? Maybe you go on a losing skid. Might actually be a realistic possibility with with Westbrook coming to town. I just don't get it. Like, who, who sits there? Obviously, you have to look at it from a, a business perspective. Oh, you know, Russell Westbrook's going to sell tickets. Okay, great. Is losing going to sell tickets? Is losing going to sell that $130 jersey? Probably not. Learn from the mistakes of your colleagues. It does not work, and it will not work. The Lakers have set themselves back half a decade, more than likely, with the roster mistakes that they've made ever since acquiring LeBron. But hey, they got a championship. I don't think this Russell Westbrook signing hurts the Clippers all that much, but I also don't think it really helps them either. Like, I think it was just a move because you get another depth piece in the backcourt because their starting point guard is Terrence Mann, who's only been putting up nine points a game. So it's like, I mean, you can get a slight improvement in there, maybe get a couple more points out of it. I don't think it's ultimately going to work for the Clippers. I never anticipated them making the finals or making a deep run in the playoffs anyway, but I don't think this is something that's necessarily going to hurt or help the Clippers in this case. But you also have John Wall. You traded John. Oh, you, you traded him back to the Rockets. That's right. I I just... I don't see how th- this is going to work because, like, like we've said, you put too many superstars in the same room, it's not going to work. And it's been proven time and time again. Now, you bring up a good point. Is Russell Westbrook technically an upgrade over Terrence Mann? Sure. But for how long? A year? If even that long? Maybe the last 23 games of this season? He probably doesn't return after this season because somebody's going to look at him the wrong way while he's in L.A. and he's going to want to go play somewhere else. And he'll be back in Washington with Bradley Beal to, to ruin his career even further. Whatever. 
I mean, do, do, do what you want. I only care about the Pelicans. He'll take a timeout when we return. Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joins us. We're going to talk the Daytona 500. Every wreck, every lead change, all 51 of them, and much more right here on the game. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, you know what they say in, in sports. Nothing's over till it's over. Well, that was very true in Daytona Beach last night. Ricky Stenhouse has only won two races in his entire career. Wins the 500. Becomes only one of eight active drivers to win the Great American Race. He comes from way in the back. At one point, he was 33rd, I believe, in in the field to win the race. And celebrated by going to Waffle House with the Daytona 500 trophy. Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joins us on the game hotline. He was at the 500 last night, and he's here to recap it with us. Toby, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing? Doing well, man. And glad NASCAR's back. <laughs> I think we all are. My goodness. It feels like the offseason wasn't very long at all because every year seems that way with the amount of announcements we have and the like, two months we have off. Uh, but, man, we're definitely back for sure. So, you know, it, it definitely took – very little time for the the drama to unfold. You always you always see the big one coming when when you're at Daytona, and about half the field wrecked out by the time the race ended, including you know some some of the biggest names in the sport: Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, um, William Byron as well. Kyle Busch was was a part of that big wreck right there at the end. What were your overall thoughts on the five hundred? Well, I mean, it was a tale of like two races because the first 70, 80% of the race was actually pretty clean. And, uh, I mean, it was wild, too, because there were a lot of lead changes going on. We had 52 lead changes and over half the field led a lap during the race. So it was like, wow, this is a really good 500. And it was impressive that the drivers were avoiding carnage for the most part. Um, and then we had, you know, uh, a couple incidents toward the, towards the end. And every time we start having these incidents towards the end of these races, it rebunches things up and then people kind of, have the short fuse because they know I got to get going. I'm one on one the Daytona 500, and uh, once that started happening, it was on and uh, crash after crash after crash kind of happened towards the end. And by the end of it, I think we only had like five cars, maybe total, that hadn't had some kind of damage. So uh, it was it was pretty chaotic towards the end, but uh, overall, a really good Daytona 500. Uh, and I think a lot of people are going to classify it as like a wreck fest just because of how the, the finish went. But I think for the large portion of the event, it was actually a really nicely contested race. So there was some, you know, kind of controversy there at the end. Some people thought that maybe Joey Logano had had just a slight lead over, over Stenhouse right there at, at that final when when the caution flag hit. You know, what what were your thoughts on that? Was it closer than it maybe appeared on TV? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of always an ask our judgment call because they're the ones that ultimately have the 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 code in the in the booth in the truck of of when they hit the button. So they kind of really know when to sync the video up and know on all that stuff. So it's kind of hard to really question them uh, unless you clearly see when the light is popping on on the on the on the catch fences. But 
Uh, I think for what it's worth, I mean, it was a judgment call, and uh, it was pretty close. So, you know, if they say that's what it is, I'm, I'm usually inclined to agree with them. But uh, I could see both ways. I mean, if you're a huge Joey Logano fan, I could definitely see how you feel like, hey, my guy won, man. Like, come on. So uh, it's, it's one of those things. I don't think NASCAR would take a win away from Joey Logano to give it to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. if there's any conspiracy theorists thinking that either because uh, Joey Logano is a pretty big star in the sport, just won the championship for the second time in his career, and, uh, you know, I don't think if they had to choose one of the guys to win, I don't think it would be Ricky Stenhouse Jr. over Joe Logano uh, if they were making that decision themselves uh, just based on what they wanted. So I, I think at the end of the day, we got the right winner. You know, looking at the final leaderboard, obviously Stenhouse winning the race, he started 31st. You had yep. A.J. Allmendinger come from 29th to finish 6th. Suarez up near the top. But two names that really jump out are the guys that finished 10th and 11th. How about Riley Herbst and Travis Pastrana? What can't Travis Pastrana do? Well, I talked to both these guys after the race because it was just incredible to see that they got those finishes. Because Riley, for for one, uh, spun early in the race and was like, oh, man, this is going to be a bad uh, debut for him. But he he rebounded for a top ten. But then, like you said, Pastrana, like he was involved in some stuff early. And it was like, okay, this probably isn't going to turn out very good for, for Travis. He was like a lap down at one point and just kind of an afterthought. Well, then... Stuff started happening throughout the end of this race, and he kept missing it. And uh, before you knew it, he was up in the the lead draft there with a with a shot to possibly win this thing if weird things happened. Uh, you know, he kind of got involved in that last little one a little bit, but got through it and, and finished eleventh. So, uh, really interesting. He told me he was extremely excited to finish eleventh. He was kind of bummed out he didn't perform better overall throughout the event, uh, and told me that he has no knowing inclination of wanting to run any more cup races going forward. But he said he's open to some more truck races. Now, looking at at some more of the results, Alex Bowman finished fifth. He started on the pole for the sixth straight 500 that he was on row one. Um, But you look at the rest of Hendrick Motorsports, they didn't finish very well. And and that kind of seems to be a trend at Daytona. Hendrick, late the last couple of years, has kind of struggled to find success at super speedways. You know, what, what, what gives on that? Well, a lot of it's just getting swept up in stuff, which you know you really can't really can't control that. Chase Elliott really before he even had a chance to to really try to make a run, uh, got caught up in the the deal with Tyler Reddick and those guys. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time uh, when Eric Jones went spinning behind him and just kind of collected him as he came back up the banking. Uh, as far as Kyle Larson, he had speed. He was up there all race long and uh, was wiped out really hard in that last crash. Which good thing he's okay. That was a really hard crash. Uh, William Byron as well was swept up in one of those ones towards the end as well. So. It's one of those things where you just have to be lucky at these things, and, and these guys, just for whatever reason, have not had much luck. They've had a lot of single-car speed, obviously, and when they're in the draft, they're pretty fast, too. Uh, and they lead laps, and, and they're always kind of there, but then in the closing laps, they're not usually there because they've been swept up. Chatting with Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. So the 500 is now complete. They're going to head across country to Fontana, California at Auto Club Speedway. It's going to be the last time that they race at Auto Club in its current format. It's going to be reconfigured to a shorter track. First question, why are they reconfiguring it to a short track? Yeah, yeah. So back uh, when COVID was getting ready to begin, like we didn't know COVID was going to be a big thing. Uh, they had already made the announcement they were going to make it short track because there was a big resurgence of people wanting short track racing. Um, and NASCAR owns Auto Club Speedway. So as far as the NASCAR tracks that they own, 
they're looking at kind of you know where can we where can we make this happen get more short tracks on the schedule and that was the the thing because they, they the, the whole layout the, the plan is to keep part of the track actually active and, and around so part of the front stretch will actually still remain there uh, as part of the short track so with the plans they're like well we can keep part of this track you know as part of the new track uh, so that's part of the stuff we don't have to rebuild. And with it going to such a smaller track with a two-mile oval going down to a half-mile oval, is there's you know a lot more room to kind of make things work. Uh, so I think that was the whole plan. And then plus it puts it in, in, in California, which is a good market. Uh, and, you know, the, the existing two-mile oval just for a while was not the premier racing feature that people wanted it to be. It just didn't put together much of a product. Uh, last few years, it actually started putting on a pretty good show. And that's why now all of a sudden people are like, no, don't take it away. Uh, but that's kind of where we're at on it. So uh, they had already had the plans in place, and uh, and then COVID kind of hit and delayed things by a couple of years because this was supposed to have happened. We should have had the short track in 2021 or 2022. Uh, so we're already way behind at this point on it. So uh, that's kind of where that is. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, it's – I think you're getting a lot of people coming out of the woodwork saying they don't want it to go because now we've had this whole three-, four-year thing of, oh, it's going to go away. And now people are like, well, no, don't take it away. And you have more years for that to kind of build the momentum on that to build. But uh, at the end of the day, more, more people wanted more short tracks, and, and that's what they're, what they're going to try to provide. Now, Toby, looking at the, the schedule for the rest of the season, two things that really stick out are the Chicago Street Race in July. Uh, for yep. for for Fourth of July weekend, and then the All Star Race is going to be at North Wilkesboro. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, it, those are two very interesting changes uh, to the schedule. NASCAR, as far as the National Series goes, has never contested a a street course. Now some of the uh, regional series uh, have, uh, but we've never had the National Series Cup Xfinity Truck run a run a street course. So uh, that is going to be very interesting to see how that how that plays out. Uh, if the next-gen car really handles it well and the people in Chicago really take to this event, which they've already got a couple-year agreement to, to run it there, uh, this could be a thing where this travels to you know other different cities uh, or stays in Chicago for you know the foreseeable future. But uh, this is a really big deal. And when you also start to kind of factor in the clash at the beginning of the year at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum, now you've got a product where NASCAR can either do street courses in any city they want or they can build their own track inside of any existing football stadium as well. And uh, I mean that's a really unique wrinkle to be able to have in NASCAR's back pocket as far as scheduling goes. Um, and then as far as North Wilkesboro, that is so cool for anybody who's been around uh, as a fan uh, since before 1996. Uh, that was a staple on the Cup Series schedule from the beginning of the sport in 1949 uh, all the way up until 1996 when they took it off the schedule. Uh, and a lot of people are excited. I, I don't think there's going to be any seats available for this right. event. I'm pretty sure it's sold out already. They kind of opened it to the public, and it was just gone within like 30 minutes because people wanted to go so badly because it's uh, an iconic short track that's uh, really been kind of dormant for a long, long time. They opened it up last year. Dale Jr. and a few other people ran some cars tour late model events there, and uh, the turnout was really good. The track, surprisingly, was in great shape, and uh, it's going to be a fun event as well. It's going to be a really cool all-star weekend. Now, you know, we're talking about North Wilkesboro being kind of a, a nostalgic course. Another one that's been rumored that NASCAR could bring back, depending on its shape, was Rockingham. What, what's the yeah. what's the latest on that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the state of North Carolina has, you know, issued funds uh, for North Wilkesboro, for uh, Rockingham. Uh, 
to be distributed to kind of work on infrastructure stuff within those racetracks. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, Rockingham, there is a legit possibility it could be back in a few years. Now, will it be a NASCAR? I don't know. Uh, will it just be kind of a, a late model kind of thing or anything like that? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to kind of see. Uh, but I think a lot of that hinges on how North Wilkesboro does. If North Wilkesboro does well and uh, there's enough, you know, stuff to kind of show that another race in North Carolina uh doesn't take away from what the attendance uh, and output and the excitement in the area is because you've already got two races at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, you got two races at Darlington and South Carolina. So it's a lot of stuff all in a little spot there. So uh, if North Wilkesboro comes in highly attended for the next couple of years uh, and there's still a lot of buzz there, they might look at uh, possibly whether or not Rockingham is a viable option. But uh, yeah, the, the plans are in place, at least initially, where there's a financial way where it kind of starts making sense. Uh, which you have to love to see, at least if you're a, a fan of Rockingham. Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. He covers NASCAR. Joins us here on the game hotline. Toby, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy Fontana this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Definitely. Anytime you guys need me, just let me know. I'd love to swing by. It's always fun to mix up with you guys. Absolutely, Toby. Appreciate you. Thank you. And there he goes, Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. We'll wrap up today's show and get you set for Mardi Gras right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Delta Media Corporation is looking for self-motivated and hardworking individuals to join their team. Delta Media is currently hiring a human resources manager to manage the HR department, hire, interview, administer pay, benefits, and more. We're also looking to add an account executive. Training is available, and if you are interested, send your resume to jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. And Delta Media Corporation is an equal opportunity employer. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 555. Three minutes left in today's edition of crunch time let's look at some top stories that we weren't quite able to get to we brought up pat beverly earlier james he's now a member of the chicago bulls yikes that's all i'm gonna say talk about daniel jones daniel jones probably looking to franchise tag him the giants are he wants some money one playoff game will do it to you he wants 45 million dollars a year one playoff win nope Nope, nope, nope. If I'm the Giants, I am signing Saquon Barkley, franchise tagging Daniel Jones, and then you try to trade him. Go draft a quarterback. Figure it out. Trade Daniel Jones? Yeah. Dude, are you paying him $45 million a year? No. All right, then. Now, look, he's my dynasty quarterback in fantasy football. Yikes, but dude. But I'm not paying him $45, no. I, he did not do – was he good? Yes. Did he improve a good bit? Yes. yes. Does he now deserve $45 million? God, no. He is not Patrick Mahomes. No. So if I, you give the money to Saquon. Which you, even giving the money to Saquon is already. You tag Daniel Jones and then you put him on the trade market. Who needs a quarterback? Give me two firsts. He's yours. Two firsts. Oof. 
Give me That's, two first and he's yours. Oh. Y'all can figure out the contract. Not my problem. That's what I would say. Yeah, but the dead cap. With you with you putting 45 on him? So what, you just let him walk? I mean, should have signed him beforehand. At this, at this point, if he's gonna be if he's gonna be afraid, you can't trade him at this point. It's too late. I guess. Plus, if it's New York, I mean, you just gotta you just gotta ride with him because how many other quarterbacks are you looking at to where it's like this guy's so much better than Daniel Jones? That's true. You're just in one of those predicaments. It's the same thing with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Yep. Thanks to our guest today, Chris Murphy, talking PGA Tour. Jay Walker, talking all things Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And Toby Christie, talking NASCAR for James Mesh and the intern Moses Campos. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Hug your mom and them. Be careful out there with Mardi Gras. No show tomorrow. We're back on a Wednesday. Same time, same station. Right here, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.